0: This is a 3CR podcast.
1: And this is Published or Not. I have got three authors with me today. Kate Kennedy, Lisa Moore, and Scott Limbrick. Welcome to you all. It oh. is fantastic to have all these authors here. You'll, know, you'll learn why they're all here in such great abundance very soon. But sometimes when you hear an author's name and you know what type of book to expect, but not with Kate Kennedy... The first time I spoke with her was with a travel memoir about her time in Mexico, and that was back in 2005. That's right. Welcome a long time back. ago.
2: Oh, thank you very much, Jane.
1: <laughs> that Mexican memoir, Sing and Don't Cry, was with a new publisher in Melbourne, Transit Lounge. That company has gone on to expand what it publishes, and you have also gone on to diverse publications, novels poetry and short stories. And it's a short story we're going to talk about right now. Daniel has started university, but there is only
2: one thing in life he knows. What's that? Well, he knows how to play the violin. (laughs) He's a virtuosic violin player, but In this story, unfortunately, that's just not going to cut it when he gets down to university in the city. It's a currency no-one else cares about. So he goes in a bit of a spiral. (laughs) He
1: does. (laughs) To play so well, he's had to look after his hands. What did it stop him doing?
2: Well, he couldn't do anything that everyone else was doing. So he couldn't – he never got a part-time job in case he, you know, hurt his fingers flipping the burgers or something. And he's never been able to be in the school musical on stage. He's had to be in the orchestra pit. So he feels like he's been a bit sidelined in life, keeping these hands from, you know, from getting injured. And now he's in the city and he realises he's going to have to busk to try and earn some pocket money while he's studying. And no one cares how well he can play the violin when he's standing in the mall either. And he's playing beautiful stuff. Doesn't matter. (laughs) No. And and how much does he get? I think think he gets $5.50 or something like that. (laughs) After
1: after playing a full 20 minutes of
2: beautiful music. His real breaking point is when he realises he stops playing beautifully and he starts tuning up. And he, people still put money in his, uh, in his case and he realised it doesn't matter. You can just spend 20 minutes there tuning up. The people who are making money are the people who are the human statues, he realises. The human statues.
1: This, let's hear about from page
2: eight. Okay, so this is Daniel feeling a bit embittered. <laughs> the next Saturday found me making my maiden voyage, as it were, striking my first pose as street performer. I didn't bother with the theatricality of body paint or elaborate headgear. I had no interest anymore in disguising the raw truth already made manifest in me. Costuming myself in jeans, my own checked shirt and small backpack, perfectly calibrated this costume, already unimprovable, I was lost tourist in the city. Not even stopping Mm -hmm. to warm up or get into character, I stood at a busy intersection, placed a hat at my feet, held a map open assumed a wide-eyed expression of slightly panicked puzzlement and froze. There was no sound, no sound at all, except for the gratifying clink of coins being dropped into that hat, nearly 50 bucks in half an hour. (laughs) So from statues like this,
1: he goes on to conceptual installations. What other conceptual installations did Daniel do?
2: Well, he's got sort of characters he steps into, like dejected gambler outside the TAB, for example, (laughs) um, shopper waiting at tram stop. He gets more and more kind of just normal, but he's caught up now in the sort of performative role and he can't get out of it. He thinks everyone's watching at every moment. So even just standing still uh, at the traffic lights or waiting to cross the road uh, or in the ATM queue or something like that, if he puts a hat down, he says that's the difference between uh, art and life: is uh, a hat. <laughs> a
1: hat, and he stops putting the hat. The, that's the right. He becomes
2: down. a performer just uh, to think that he's he in the world is performing uh, all the time. So he's in that kind of hall of mirrors that he can't oh. get out of now.
1: Yeah, and he's met a girl who is impressed with his statuary, <laughs> his perfectly suspended mannerisms, but they they get in the way of his busking
2: and his relationships. He has to go and be the thing that he thinks the world is waiting for. So he has things like, you know, indecisive shopper outside the body shop is one of them, or country (laughs) visitors struck by the realism of the Meyer window mannequin. (laughs) So it becomes almost like self-parody, but he's too caught up in it to realise that it's getting a bit weird now.
1: (laughs) Poor Daniel may not have been a winner in the end, but this short story was very much a winner. And here I congratulate
2: Kate Kennedy. What for? Well, I was lucky enough to win a prize in the Furfy Short Story Competition. First prize, come on. First prize in 2022. So uh, it's a great thrill because this is such a great uh, competition to enter. It's a story that invites writers to write a story celebrating Australian life and all of its diversity, which is a wonderful sort of wide, you know, encompassing, inclusive thing. And of course, it's got a great sort of storytelling a yarn-spinning kind of heritage, the Furphy Award. We all understand what the Furfys are, you know. We yeah. do.
1: Okay. Lisa Mool won second place with a short story called The Game. Well, welcome to you, Lisa.
3: Hi. How are you doing? Thanks for having me.
1: <laughs> You've set your story in a suburb that is becoming gentrified. The old is being replaced by the new. And that's what happened in the primary school. Who got the teaching promotion as head of year
3: three. So Tom Noble got the teaching promotion over uh, Megan Petty, who was, was really the one that deserved the promotion. She's a, a diligent and, and uh, generous teacher and she, she mentored Tom Noble. Unfortunately, Tom Noble, was, he was a lot less generous Let's just say.
1: Let's just also say that a lot of parents knew that Megan, the school teacher, was perhaps better fitted for the promotion. Yeah. When his, he announced this to the school assembly, you can understand why a few of the parents were a little bit less eager for him to have this leadership role. Mm.
3: Yes. So, shall I, shall yes, I go? Please. Okay. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Mr Noble, Tom Noble. He puffed his chest and glanced over at Janine. This year, I'm Grade 3's Head of Year. There was a gasp from the adults in the room. The teaching aides eyed Megan, shaking their heads microscopically in sympathy. They radiated quiet, unmistakable loathing for the management. Before this job, I worked for Pet Barn for ten years. I got to hang out with the dogs all day long. Children fidgeted and turned in their seats. I even said yes to the big question. There was silence. I'd tried the dog food. The smi- his smile was too big for his face. And I liked it. There was a collective outcry and pretend vomiting. Parents whispered to each other. And that's
1: And now Tom is part of the leadership staff but says to Megan, I'm going to need your help. It's a bit of a game, this promoting thing. So what's Tom planning to do with his increased
3: paycheck? So Tom, his single focus is on gaming. He's quite a young teacher. Um, He plays Minecraft at, at lunchtime and so he's, he's wanting to set up his home sort of gaming facility, so it's awesome. And um, he, he buys a gaming chair and he wants to buy an actual Stormtrooper. Yes. Well, <laughs> Megan is
1: our narrator. She's older and a more experienced teacher. She's used to parents who want the very best for their children, a quote. Mothers who ran their kids' lives better than most small businesses. But Estelle one of the mothers, is a bit problematic. Why?
3: She is exceptional at controlling every situation for her daughter and her daughter is her is her number one priority. She finds ways to better every single situation. She even suggests installing UV windows in the classroom to ward against evils of ageing and even cancer. <laughs>
1: She wants to put safety nets under the monkey bars, have a class puppy and have teachers supervise the way children ate their lunch, the sandwich before the snack. Her (laughs) daughter, Harmony, though, is the problem. So let's have Lisa reading a little bit more from page 20 about her daughter, Harmony.
3: Okay, 3P, please show me how you line up. Harmony stayed exactly where she was, sitting on the bench seat outside the class. Harmony, can you please line up with everyone else? No. I'm sorry. Lining up is demeaning. We all have to line up, Harmony. Well, I don't really agree with it. Okay then, Harmony, but we're all in this together. We're a team, and your teammates are lining up. It's not harming anyone, it's just following the rules, like sheep. That's right, what's wrong with being sheep? At other moments you'll be fish and dolphins and birds. Harmony rolled her eyes and joined the line, pushing in front of Elodie.
1: Oh, yes. Well, Megan has further behavioural problems with Harmony and, of course, sends her to Tom, (laughs) (laughs) the head of year, the, the one that's getting the extra money. And how do you think that this controlling mother would feel when Tom emails back, I can't spend all my time with her? There are another 20 students I have to think about. And then, of course, ask Megan for her tips. Well, thank you, Lisa. Well, that you. was just a, oh, it was very funny. Not so much the next one. Scott Limbrick's short story, Fake Plants, is one of the 16 that made this fine collection, and there were over 600 entries. Welcome to you, Scott. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You've written about Dom, he's 29 years old and coming back to the farm, his mother in the passenger seat. And this, I can't believe this, this is the conversation they had.
0: Mum was sitting in the passenger seat, fidgeting with the zip on her bag, the way she does. She said she had to tell me something before we got to the house, which I thought meant something like, your dad's converted your old room into a study, or please don't say anything about me being on dating apps. So I said, sure. Sure with a lightness I haven't felt again since. Because what she actually said, after a long silence, was, your sister didn't exist.
1: Your sister
0: didn't exist.
1: But you've written about just the different things that Dom remembers his sister doing. What, what does he remember about his sister when he, he was nine years old?
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the way you like to drink old grey tea to feel grown up, even though you hated the bitter taste and the way it felt on your tongue about your passionate advocacy for the family to get a cat, including a presentation on allergy treatments to counter Dad's ironclad reason to reject the proposal, about the dances you would choreograph and force me to watch before I could use the living room to play video games, your arms almost always out of sync with the rest of your body, even as your eyes narrowed in concentration.
1: So how could this sister, who he remembers so well, not exist? So Scott, what have you written about here?
0: Uh, Yes, so I guess this story is kind of based around memory editing and it's a speculative science fiction kind of story where Dom's parents paid to have the memory of his sister implanted when he was nine, so it happened in the past and all the memories are before that, Um, but it's affected the rest of his life.
1: He's researching these companies now where, as a quote, where technology and ambition outpaced policy and ethics. He's not the only one. He finds Martin. What did this my, a memory editing company do to Martin?
0: Uh, so Martin had a similar experience of having uh, memory replaced when he was younger. Uh, and So he finds Martin through an online forum because it, it's not a widespread thing that's happened to people but it has happened to others. And what happened to Martin was that his father left him and his mother had him, his father, edited into memories past the point where he had left. Uh, And by the time he figured out this had happened, uh, his father had died. uh, And so he never got to to see him, even though he'd been alive for a period of time after that.
1: Because he had this memory editing of just a fake father. Yeah. As Dom had a fake sister and all these memories. But there's a new facility. What's this new facility claiming to do? Uh,
0: So it claims to be able to undo or fix um, the problems of anyone who has been affected by these companies, which I imagine have been doing other things to people's memories, but to be able to go back in and deal with it through surgery. Now, Scott's written about this, uh, this new facility
1: in a way that you think, oh my God, it sounds so real. I don't know whether it is, Scott, but let's just hear what these facilities are claiming
0: to do. Um, I clicked through every page I could find, looking at all the services they offered. Specialist counselling seemed like something I should be doing, and it wasn't particularly alarming. Other treatments were more, more targeted, dealing directly with memory in ways that were unclear, with jargon like gamma knife, cubic scales, and electronically induced neurofires. But I got the concept. They claimed they could not only perform surgery on memory, but could also identify false recollections and recover real ones.
1: What will Dom choose? The other short stories in this anthology are about happenings in our time, floods, COVID and the race riots at Cronulla Beach, finding and losing love through moving, ill health or death, and family relationships. Two stories about very different grandmothers, family violence as experienced by a wife and another imagined by a child, and the similarities between human and a brush Turkey at parenting, I I really enjoyed them all, but I will I will say to anyone, read them in reverse order, and finish the last one with Kate's winning entry in the Fur- Furfee anthology. Uh, well, now an open question to uh, Lisa, Scott, and Kate: How much did you know about the Furfies before you sent your entries in? Not a huge
0: amount, I, I guess. The the beer was the. <laughs> The yes. main, <laughs> main reference that came Which to mind. Which
1: actually yeah. has nothing no. to do with this branch <laughs> of Furphy.
0: <laughs> no, but I guess that's the one I was aware of. But I did learn about it in the process of submitting to this award.
1: Well, at the launch just recently, there were two f- Furphy ancestors, mm-hmm. uh, Scott and Adam, who actually spoke about their ancestry. Does anyone want to talk about that? Because I thought it
2: was good. Um, yes, yeah, so the Furfys, I mean, I... Lived for a while in the northeast uh, near Shepparton, so I kind of knew more of the of the Furfies. And one thing that uh, I think Adam mentioned on the the night was that just recently, just the other day actually, one of the original Furphy water carts was sold for like sixty one thousand dollars or something. They're very That's collectible right. yeah. now. Yes. Yeah. So back in World War One. The Furfies were a foundry originally in Shep and so it was um, during World War One the, the water carriers were taken over to Gallipoli and places where Australian soldiers were in Egypt and so on and that's where people would gather like gathering around the water cooler I guess to exchange stories and to share gossip and to talk and just yarn basically. So it's sort of got that interesting sense where we now understand a Furfy to be a lie or a made-up story but it also has um, Joseph Furphy, who was an author who wrote a book called Such His Life, uh, under his pseudonym Tom Collins, which basically is just a big book of tall tales of wandering around the country, making stuff up about people that he meets. Uh, so really, it's um, it's got a long tradition of yeah. I guess I guess the kind of the yarn, the the story-telling, storytelling, the people who can hold your attention by being good at telling stories, and you know, there's kind of lots of. Interesting parallels there of country life and, um, you know, struggling through doing other jobs during the day and spending your evenings, as Joseph Furphy did, by candlelight or a lantern, getting on with his writing, getting on with his work that he believed in. So, I think it's a it's a it's a nice legacy to now have a short story competition, which you know honors that kind of history as well. Well, it has old origins, even as you say, Tom Collins, the pen name
1: for Joseph Furphy, because. Well, this is from the Furphy anthology. Everyone can write at least one good story. That was the belief of J.F. Archibald, the editor and founder of the famous 19th century weekly The Bulletin, who invited his readers to become contributors. And that's exactly
2: what Joseph Furphy did. I have to say, too, that uh, one of the people... There wasn't many books in his childhood. He had the works of William Shakespeare and he had uh, the Bible... That's what he kind of learned off by heart because there wasn't anything else. He was a very avid reader, but boarding with the family was a teacher, who uh, sort of recognised his interest and his talent and nurtured it. And it was really thanks to that teacher that the the book, as you said, the bulletin did publish eventually, such as life. And the first edition was not a big success. Uh, and it was she was believing him so much that she bought up all of the remaindered copies of which there were you know, quite a few hundred. Uh, she was just a, just a teacher, there you go, who believed in in the work of one of her students and in his creativity. And so really the, the legacy of continuing to do with support and just people who recognise that you're doing something kind of a bit quirky, there's not going to be any money in it, but it's worth pursuing is a great thing. Yeah. Now listen to you three.
1: You know, here you are, <laughs> a bit quirky. Is yes. that how you fancy your own writing? A bit quirky? <laughs>
3: I guess so. I mean, um to sit down on your own for that length of time and make some stuff up from your head has to be a little bit quirky. But you know, it it's great to to read stuff that, you know, people have have written. It's it's um, you know, it's incredible when someone's written something as great as Kate's story. It's oh, awesome. You guys, <laughs> everyone's story in this anthology
2: is fantastic because 600 600 and something and there's 16 left so this is a beautiful we were laughing about this on the uh, at the um, launch actually it's like a box of chocolates or something you know it's like there's a selection in there that you can fossick in and uh, and you know pick you're going to find something surprisingly that you didn't think that you're going to that It you know, is like so different yeah like.
3: the the collection is really um, disparate you know it's amazing the 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 diversity in there
1: and I know we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but
3: it's it's a pretty flash cover. You can isn't it? judge a book by yeah. this cover, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's,
1: it's gorgeous. A it's yeah. beautiful, yeah. I, I think the design a perfect, perfect <laughs> gift really this time of the year. <laughs> it's a I very think. good Christmas gift. Yes. <laughs> I was surprised at the launch that they they weren't even talking about the cover. They said, take the cover off and have a look at the hard cover, cover. Yes. Which <laughs> is <laughs> different. It's a
3: yeah.
0: I, yeah. I think they were happy because it was a bone. I, I follow the designer on Instagram because they design oh. a lot of great book covers and sometimes post the ones that weren't chosen for a certain book and those mm. are always great as well. So I knew this yeah. collection would have a good cover and when it came out I was like even more excited but apparently the hard cover inside was one of the they had three options and they managed to get two by two putting one on the hardcover.
3: There's also little designs for oh. each of – little sketches for each of the stories. And I was so thrilled when I had read the stories and went through and went, oh, my God, that's perfect. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know the name of the illustrator, um, but they are fantastic. Um it's
0: designed by committee as the um, agency.
3: Uh. Scott. What was your
1: little design that was at the top yeah, of the Yeah, I your... loved my
0: design. I, I only noticed it. Because um, your your, your a... short
1: story is called Fake Plants. Yeah. And I you started talking about sunflowers. I'm thinking, sunflowers? They're not fake plants? And then I realised it's in the brain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. It's got a pot plant with leaves coming out of it that but then if you look closely there are some hands coming out of it as well. <gasps> which <laughs> I thought was really great. Because there are there are there is a image of a plant in the towards the end of the story, but then mm. that was a great vision. It was very yeah, I, I wasn't
1: sure how. They so about that, it. that shows that you know the uh, the creatives have actually read.
3: That's the what stories. it felt like. I felt like you were really listened to in that story, but also throughout the whole process. They have been absolutely wonderful and so supportive and um, just you know making us feel nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah. six hundred people, and the entries are open now for next year. Mm-hmm. They closed in April. So Furfy, Uh, Anthology. Just look it up online. I think how how many words did you have to do? Was it under five thousand? Yeah,
2: five thousand. Right, I think yes, and no problem. Probably no lower limit. No, not that. I but know. Yes, it, it's free
3: to enter, and it doesn't free have
2: free to enter. Yes,
3: which yeah. it, which Incredible. is it makes it just so so fair, and you know everyone's on a, the same playing field. You it's, do want to yeah. throw your hat in the ring, don't you? You, you know, do. I've you got do. a story to
2: tell, and I think that's the great thing about it is it really does encourage some writers who have never written a story before. You
0: yeah. know, it also meant for my story because the theme is generally Australian life. And for mine, I kind of went, I don't know if this, it, it's set in Australia and there is Australianness to it, but it's essentially a science fiction story and I almost didn't send it in because I thought it might not fit. So I think if you're erring on the side of, does it fit? Diversity. That's yeah. second, right.
1: All it's <laughs> diversity right. is very yeah. inclusive, All it's diversity. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah. Because at the launch you actually spoke, Kate, also about how you could, and edit and work on uh, something or then you just wrote something and it was just... Yes, that's right. Impromptu- There's different and-
2: ways that you kind of... Any, I think everyone's got their own quirky <laughs> ways of making sure they can get words on the page but I've got to say I kind of started writing by entering competitions because it gives you a deadline, which is a great thing, when you're, mm. you know, there's nothing. If nothing's making you do this,
3: that's right.
2: You'll tend to um, put it off indefinitely, or imagine the book you might write one day. Mm. When you have a deadline, and they say, okay, so it's whatever, you know, I don't know, twentieth um, of April or something like that, and this is the word limit. It gives you parameters, and it's it's come to make me realise mm. that creativity really thrives with constraint. You know, giving limit is the only way they've ever got you anything frame. You need a frame. Need a frame. Need. Yeah. And a frame can be time and it can be space. They mm. hardly any frames really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what it does by saying, well, here's a competition that's coming up. Why don't you work towards this deadline? Uh, it's amazing how when you do have that set of parameters, there'll be something that's skating around in your head that you'll be able to think, oh, maybe that. Maybe that's mm. worth working on and putting on the page. So whatever way whether it comes easily or whether it comes hard. The funny thing about writing is the reader cannot tell whether it's been painful to write or a pleasure to write because by the time it's there and polished and it's within your word limit and it's all working together and you're feeling surprised and happy at last Mm. with what you've been able to make, uh, it's all invisible from that point because you've written it for somebody else, you know, for a reader.
1: Well, Lisa, I think yours, you know, you. I, I don't think you've had all that much experience as teaching, but... Uh, no, I haven't really. But it, it just sort of flowed.
3: Yeah, so I've got kids and um, I've observed a lot of teachers and a lot of other moms, and, I, you know, I... I'm really a part of the school community and have really enjoyed that with my children. So, so is think, there any
1: mothers out there who think, "Oh my goodness, she's made Estelle
3: <laughs> on me"? No, no, I no, no. Not. It's not. Um, I, I, it's not any particular one person, but usually these people. I mean, I mean, I, th- I think there's an amalgam of all these different sort of circumstances that you end up sort of fleshing into a character. And you start off with one idea and then by the end of the time that you've written it, it's kind of emerged and developed and reshaped itself into Mm. its own character. So whilst you might start off with one idea, it it has to flesh itself out eventually.
2: In the process of writing. In the process of writing, yeah. 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 So
3: it's definitely not one person in my life that I've nailed in, you know, gone in on. Definitely not. What do you think, Scott, about like writing speculative fiction? What makes you think that's
2: the framework that I can best express my ideas in?
0: My story is by far the least funny of these three, but usually I would write comedic stories and I do live comedy a lot. And so I guess from doing sketch or comedy, you're kind of primed to think of things like in terms of a premise or a thing that you can build around mm. and build, wor- build worlds out of it for improv, that kind of thing. So I guess I've always enjoyed reading speculative fiction then I found when I was writing. I found it easier to start with premises or interesting things and then make the themes and characters full in themselves. You sort of discover it in the process of doing it, don't you? Yeah. So getting started
2: is always good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this is the third year that this
1: fine collection of short stories has been handsomely published. Three of the authors, Kate Kennedy, Lisa Moore and Scott Limerick, talk about their entries in the Furfy Anthology 2022. Thank you all for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah,
2: thanks so much. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.